Hello, health scientists, and thanks for tuning in to the Health Scientist Podcast. I'm your host, Richie Kerwin, and today I'm going to be speaking with Shannon Beer. Shannon is a nomadic nutrition coach who uses comprehensive coaching strategies to promote adaptive self-regulation behaviors within her clients. She seeks to understand why we do the things we do, particularly when it comes to our eating behaviors, with the aim of understanding the people she works with so she can help them better. I've known Shannon for quite some time now, and have been incredibly impressed with how she has thrown herself into studying behavior change and how the mind works so that she can develop better ways to help people. Anyone can see from the kind of information she puts out that she's not your standard diet coach. And this podcast with her has been a long time coming. Uh, If anything, I hope this podcast helps people think and reassess the ways that they've dieted in the past or help people with their diets and It sparks a desire to learn a little bit more about what motivates us to change. I really hope you enjoy this episode and even learn something from it because I know I've learned a lot from Shannon. And if you do, I'd love it if you left a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use. Or if you're listening on YouTube, consider hitting the like button and subscribing for even more great podcasts. And if you can, please share and spread the news of the podcast on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, or even LinkedIn. Not only do I massively appreciate it, but it helps promote the podcast to more people, which really encourages other guests to come and speak. And that means I can get even more great content out to you. And on a final note, if you know someone who you think might be interested in this podcast, either a coach or someone who struggled with dieting in the past, please let them know about it and maybe it can be of some help to them. So onto this conversation with Shannon, let's talk science. Shannon, how are you doing? I am good. How are you? I am very, very good, uh, mostly because it's the end of the day and I don't have to work anymore. Um, and I just get to chat with you, so I'm super happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Shannon, tell us um, a little bit about yourself. Just tell us specifically what I want to know is, so you've got, I know you've got a very, very interesting um, backstory before you got into the world of nutrition. So maybe we could hear a little bit about that, how you got into nutrition and fitness, and then maybe a little bit more specifically, how you got into uh, the behavior change side of things that we're going to talk about uh, tonight. Okay, sure. So I am, yeah, I had an interesting, I guess, journey into the fitness industry. Um, I started off studying law. So I have my undergraduate degree in law, and then I kind of realized pretty soon into that that it wasn't something that I wanted to pursue any further Um, and I was really interested in nutrition something that actually really stuck out to me was I had a tutor who said that during one of our lectures he said that if you're not interested in this stuff and reading about this kind of stuff outside of these lessons right now then that's an indication that you're in the wrong place like if this doesn't interest you then you're in the wrong place and I was like oh I think I'm in the wrong place. And I was like, what am I reading about? What am I interested in outside of lecture time, you know? And that was always nutrition. It's just, I don't know why. It's just something that I started taking um, or gathering an interest in. And then I looked to explore that further after completing my degree. So that was when I enrolled in Mac Nutrition, um, which was an online course. So I went traveling at the same time. So I was like, well, I don't need to be anywhere. I, I want to travel now before I figure out what I'm going to do with myself. Um, yeah, and then past that and along the way, I started um, just coaching people who would come to me just for advice to begin with. And then it kind of rolled into, into that. Um, and then I've kind of gone with that ever since. And how I got into behavior change was exactly that through working with people, because it was very evident, like soon after just talking to people about their nutrition behaviors, I understood that eating is a behavior. And it's not simply a case of telling people what to do and it's problem solved. It's like, oh, okay, let's actually understand why uh, or the context in which this behavior occurs. What influences are you under? What kind of motivations do you have? Why do you want to change? Why is all this important? And then how can I do a better job at helping people to achieve that change? So, yeah, just simply through working with people and I think being curious about client experiences you know how they relate to food how they relate to themselves just kind of led me down that path of considering all these other factors that are pretty much fundamental to helping someone achieve a change 
Okay. So what do you do uh, as your kind of your, your daily bread and butter, let's say? Um, how, what, what is your, your job right now? Coaching. Yeah, just online coaching. Um, and I'm also studying part-time as well. So coaching is my bread and butter. And I've recently been collaborating with Gabrielle Fondaro um, on our comprehensive coaching framework. So it's kind of transitioned into coaching and then helping coaches coach. Very good. Um, so this is what we're going to get into is helping coaches coach uh, a little bit more. But before that, I think we need a little bit of a primer uh, as to why we need to help coaches with coaching. Um, I, I suppose if we, we, we could start off talking a little bit about diet culture and we will get into that term a little bit more. But I think it's probably fair to say that diet culture as it is most commonly portrayed in um, on social media or in regular media, just basically in the forms of media that people are most exposed to, is pretty much a cesspool of unhealthy, uh, unsustainable ideas and practices. And I suppose one thing to ask is what got us to that point or what aspects of diet culture brought us to that point? Um, and does that mean that calories like uh, sorry concepts like a calorie deficit or concepts like intentional weight loss are are beyond saving within a, a healthy dietary approach mm. i'll start with the the second half of that question and that i don't think that intentional weight loss is beyond saving at all we just have to be very careful about how we go about it and whether or not it's appropriate that's kind of what it comes down to and the, re the reason that diet culture is very important to consider is that it's very insidious We're, and I think when you're thinking about the majority of coaches a lot of these coaches have come from a different environment in that they may not have been subjected to diet culture or at least they probably currently have an understanding of nutrition that helps them to identify oh that's a load of rubbish we don't need to listen to that so we can easily separate ourselves but that doesn't invalidate someone else's experience in how they interpret nutrition information say online or wherever it is that they they get most of their information from so i think it's really important to consider the context in which your client is coming to you and where they're getting their understanding from and again the, another reason that it's it's very damaging is that not only is the advice kind of encourages a lot of pathological dieting behaviors but also it preys on a vulnerability to achieve a weight loss result right it's not about improving health or being a better version of yourself it's here's how you can lose weight in an extreme way quickly that's pretty much what underpins most instances of what we would consider diet culture and the reason that it's often it does that is that, oh, here's, you can be happy when you've lost X amount of weight. Here's a really useful solution for you. And that's kind of how it's packaged up and sold. So it doesn't focus on health at all. And it preys on um, someone's vulnerabilities and insecurities. And that's something that I think we need to be very aware of when it comes to determining a nutrition approach for someone. Is dieting or weight loss really something that they want to work on right now? Is that something that's going to be the healthiest you know, action for them. Um, one thing based on that, and I, I, well, it stems from that, and it, it was an interesting term that you used in the, the Bridging the Gap series, which is a fantastic um, series of articles that yourself and Gabrielle Fendero wrote. Um, and um, it's a term that I really liked, which was called hitting diet or hitting training rock bottom. Um, and I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about what that means specifically and how that relates to current diet culture and, and how it's something that we may necessarily need to, to move away from. Yeah, so when someone has hit diet or training rock bottom, this is usually a result of multiple attempts to, to diet because uh, something that I should have mentioned about diet culture is that when the diet fails, usually the individual is blamed. This diet works, you just didn't stick to it, or it worked whilst you were sticking to it, but we know that it's something that's unsustainable, but a client or a person kind of internalizes that failure, and they're like, okay, well, I know that I lost X amount of weight when I did this extreme diet in the past, so let me just do that again, and I will lose the weight this time. And I, I you know, not considering why 
the weight was regained or why it, the approach wasn't something that could be sustainable in the long run. Again, usually the client internalizes that as their fault. The diet works, I just can't stick to it. And when we hit diet rock bottom, that's when, again, we've experienced a number of attempts and potentially we're kind of losing a little bit of faith. We're burnt out. We're over dieting. We're over um training as compensation for what you've eaten and kind of that hitting that rock bottom i think is a a place when people realize that something needs to change now what this doesn't work i can't carry on doing this but i don't know what to do next and that's usually a time where someone might reach out to a coach so if we think about it we've got this this dietary approach or this I almost want to say it is yeah we have a diet culture that has people focusing on one outcome which is weight loss and people will often do anything they can to get there and it ends up being something that is very very damaging to people in well we would say definitely in an emotional and a psychological sense but potentially in in a physical sense as well um but it seems to be something that happens a lot and that's why diet culture has got this this absolutely terrible reputation um and i i think it's deserved because that is the way a lot of coaches operate and uh, a lot of people implement diets themselves so you mentioned that people you know they'll get to this point they need to reach out to a coach if we think about traditional coaching practices what what is a a traditional coaching um approach to to helping somebody how does how did a coach in the past uh try to help somebody with their diet what would they have done i think the traditional approach to coaching operates on some sort of deficit based model so oh this client just needs to be told what to do because they don't understand how nutrition works so my role is to educate come up with a plan and they can stick to it and they can do it it's it's way more authoritative and dictative and that's not really what help someone to achieve a change because these kind of external plans foster again like that external extrinsic motivation like oh okay i'll just stick to this plan that someone else has decided for me and as long as i stick to it that's going to work it doesn't consider the context in which someone may be be living the influences that they're under and it's not facilitated so it's not helping someone to form stronger sources of motivation that come from within and it's not helping to facilitate adaptive behaviors either so that traditional model of coaching is problematic in the sense that it often induces experiences of guilt and shame like oh this is a really amazing plan it's my fault for not being able to stick to it and it also again assumes that uh, a knowledge deficit is the problem and we kind of come at coaching with okay my role is the educator do this this and this problem solved and it it isn't that simple so i think we really need to move away from that model of coaching into something that's looking more like a partnership so we're working with the client and recognizing that the client is coming to you with their own experiences and yes they're seeking the expertise of a of a coach but more so in the role of guidance like i like to think of it as and this is a metaphor um borrowed from acceptance and commitment therapy so russ harris has this way of explaining the relationship as like everyone's got their own little mountains to climb i'm over here on my own mountain and i can just see yours so i can see these obstacles that you're going to face and i'm going to help you to navigate those obstacles but you're still the person like climbing your own mountain and we're on even footing we're just like it's not a hierarchical relationship it's a collaborative partnership i think if we can view coaching in that way um we're going to be moving away from blaming and shaming which we know is naturally helpful and it's not helpful for the client because not only are you making them feel bad but it obstructs change and that doesn't reflect well on the coach either so it's in everyone's you know interest to create that kind of working <clears throat> partnership that's actually going to lead to adaptive behavior change so and, and i suppose the, the end goal of all of this is to find like you said is behavior change but you know be, behavior change would probably be our, our process oriented goal but at the end of this we want to find an approach that people are going to be able to stick with long term 
that's going to be something that they're comfortable sticking with long term and something that they can they can do and remain happy and not be miserable for the rest of their life is it, is that about right yes it's about encouraging <clears throat> flexible and adaptive behaviors and something that we're the way that we've kind of um formalized this is as promoting flourishing health so considering that health expands far beyond the physical domain so it includes like your social relationships your emotional psychological well-being but i think even outside of that it's just about actually figuring out what someone needs because someone may be coming to you for something that again if if weight loss is filling a hole then we need to be able to consider what what that is what's what's the reason behind that and that kind of feeds into your question earlier about you know can we still promote intentional weight loss like certainly but making sure that it's actually something that someone needs and that may require referring out you know if you're able to identify that i actually don't think that weight loss is appropriate for this person and maybe they're looking for something else i would consider that a job well done even if you haven't achieved any results like quantifiable results because actually you're helping someone you've give, they're now probably one step closer to getting what it whatever it is that they really need so i think even yeah beyond or before we consider kind of results and what looks like success it's about understanding really understanding what a person is actually looking for and then knowing whether or not you're the right person to deliver it and if it is something that's within your your scope considering the best possible approach and making that sustainable for the long run so so that's an interesting um approach or at least some people will consider it an interesting approach because potentially what you're saying there is that you may have a client who approaches you and says look I want to lose some weight and then once you've done a little bit of digging or getting to know your client you're saying that it may not be what you're you should be doing with them and you may say I'm not the person you need to be working with right now you need to be working with somebody else so you're basically saying that you don't need this client which for a lot of coaches is almost a crazy uh, concept to to be um pushing somebody away but i i i think this kind of i'm hopefully we'll get to speak about this a little bit more but i i know one of the concepts of comprehensive coaching that we're going to talk about now is maintaining a strong set of ethical values mm-hmm. um and could, could you just talk talk to us a little bit more about those ethics in the context of helping somebody with their eating habits Yeah so I think we have to understand that eating behaviors are often tied to a number of kind of psychological factors which could be self-esteem self-worth um and eating behaviors have the dieting itself has the the risk involved um and could potentially <clears throat> be problematic in the sense of developing like pathological eating behaviors so there's like a number of things that we need to be clear on and to touch on what you just said there about whether or not the working of a client is appropriate for them it, i don't think it always comes down to the coach saying oh i don't think i can help you with this sometimes a client may say um actually i've realized that this goal isn't what i need right now and you've helped me to see that there are other things i need to be working on too and it doesn't necessarily have to be an either or so you can still work together on um achieving like adaptive and flexible eating behaviors and they may do, be doing some work in collaboration with a psychologist like alongside that as well so saying to someone i don't think fat loss is appropriate for you right now or maybe that's a realization they've come to themselves doesn't necessarily make you a role redundant so i've had um, a number of people sign up initially thinking that you know we're going to set out for some fat loss goals um and that's fine and then it shifts over time because again it's it's not about um imposing your beliefs on someone else it's knowing what you won't do but then helping someone to achieve or realize themselves what it is that they truly need. So again, I've had people come to me, "Oh, I want to lose some fat. Cool, let's do this." Um and then like 6 weeks in, actually I'm I'm not sure that I want to track right now. But okay, cool. I I actually think that I realized that maybe working on my relationship with food is more important to me right now because I feel very restricted in social situations, XYZ, like whatever it is. But okay. That this is something that we can work on as well. Like depending on the nature of the the problem and what it is that they want i think just having that kind of relationship where it's open and they don't feel judged um 
gives them the opportunity to really explore their, their values, what it is that they need, what's important to them. So that's happened a number of times where people um, have the idea that they want to lose fat, they want to track, they want to do whatever it is, and then they change their minds. Um, and that's something, again, that cool, we can take a different approach. We don't need to track. We don't need to measure this, don't need to measure that. It's about um, being more flexible with your eating. Like that's something that we can help people with as well. So yeah, definitely having a strong set of ethics is really important. And I think just actually having an understanding of where the boundaries lie. And it's not about trying to solve every problem that a client will face, because obviously there's some things where you are not equipped. That's not your job to help someone with. But it's about understanding what, I can help with what I can't help with. What does that person need? And if they need something else, then encouraging them to seek help for that as well. Absolutely. And I, I think it's just another example of the importance of multidisciplinary approaches when, when we're helping people with, with long-term health goals. Um, and when, again, we're talking in, in, a, in a coaching context here and we're talking about something that people are doing personally. Um, I, I often have these arguments with people about the difference between individual coaching, like what we're speaking about right now, and then public health approaches to, to helping people with, with diet and exercise. And they're very, very different because um, there's only so much that a government can do and so much money that a government can um, invest. But then if somebody has the option of working with a nutrition coach or somebody has the option of working with um, a psychologist to, to help them with any other issues they have. It's something that they, you know, if they choose to do it, that's, that's fantastic. And that's for them. Um, again, we, we, we've, you've touched on a couple of things that I want to bring up um, before we get into comprehensive coaching itself. But one of them specifically is you, you mentioned again, the, the risks and we, we spoke about them earlier, but you, some of the risks of a restrictive diet or dietary restriction in general, I think is a better way of saying it. Um, could you tell us about some of those risks that somebody is exposed to when they are trying to implement dietary restriction? And then could you tell us about some of the groups that are at particular risk of suffering from those as well? Yeah, so I think when we speak about dietary restraint, we need to recognize that it's not a homogenous construct so that there are different forms of dietary restraint and some may be more harmful than others. So we often talk about the distinction between um, flexible control and rigid control. And the way that we talk about them suggests that they're two separate things. And that's not actually the case. They share a lot of um, similarities in the sense that about 50% of the, the construct like overlaps. So rigid control and flexible control are not two completely different things. There are some parts of those that correlate and the, we don't actually really know what parts of flexible control are flexible and what parts of um, rigid control are rigid and where the overlap occurs, which is why we need to be very careful about how we go about an engagement in dietary restraint. So dietary restraint itself just refers to the cognitive efforts to restrict your food intake, to either lose weight or maintain weight. Um, so that's something that we need to consider in context as well. When we consider the role of food in terms of social bonding that occurs over food and the restriction that occurs when engaging in dietary restraint, because if the goal is intentional weight loss, it is likely that calories need to be restricted in some form. It doesn't have to feel restricted, but we need to reduce the amount of calories that someone is consuming for fat loss to occur. So there is always a risk involved with that. And the risk is the, the risk of developing those pathological eating behaviors. And disordered eating is that kind of messy, messy middle ground where a lot of people don't want to touch it, even though we can kind of see it happening, but nobody knows what to do. And it's not an eating disorder, so I could potentially help this person, but I, I don't know enough about eating behaviors to, to know what's you know um, healthy and what's not. And we have to be very careful because in our promotion of flexible control, which is usually like, oh, track your macros, you can eat any kinds of foods, like it's great. We don't actually know if we're promoting rigid control. So we have to be very careful with that. And I think that comes down to that relationship that you have with your client and whether that that's how you can kind of understand whether the approach is appropriate or not. And also having that kind of theoretical background knowledge of, like you said, those higher risk populations. So for example, um, 
disordered eating behaviors in athletes are actually fairly common like there's a lot of risks involved that are unique to that population due to things like sporting pressures so trying to um, meet a weight class for um, a certain competition is one risk factor and um, physique sports comes with a whole host of risk factors so I think having that understanding of knowing uh, again like perfectionist tendencies is there's a lot that goes into it to understanding your client and just noting whether or not there's any of those kind of red flags and that doesn't necessarily mean that oh every client who engages in physique sports is going to develop pathological eating behaviors that's not the case at all but just understanding that they are at a higher risk so we just need to be aware of that when we do engage in dietary restraint and i think something that we can do regardless of the person that you're working with knowing that no one is risk-free like it's never going to be entirely risk-free it's just being careful to promote those positive adaptive behaviors that we know could benefit people so even in terms of um the way that someone speaks to themselves like self-compassion like that can be protective in terms of um, dietary restraint there's a theory of dietary restraint um that looks at it as a self-regulation um skill which i think is actually a very helpful way of conceptualizing dietary restraint and it's from a paper i think it's entitled dietary restraint what's the harm and that's something that i'd really recommend um people looking into because it's not a case that it's always harmful and there are certain people that may benefit and see um, improved health outcomes from engaging in dietary restraint and we even see like reductions in binge eating behaviors in certain populations but then on, on the other hand, it may increase binge eating behaviors in other populations. So again, just understanding that dietary restraint itself is not a, a homogenous construct and understanding that people are entirely different. So we really need to have a clear, um, just a clear understanding of how dietary restraint works, what's involved and who you're working with. So bringing it back to the conceptualization of dietary restraint as a self-regulation strategy, um, this paper in particular was useful because it highlighted areas of risk and it suggested that dietary restraint where it falls down and where it can increase the risk of pathological eating behaviors is in three different areas. So the areas of risk are self-monitoring, self-evaluation and self-reinforcement. So there are many ways to monitor your diet. It could be macro tracking, it could be food journaling, it could be photos, whatever it is. Um, if those ways of monitoring are inaccurate, then this could lead to a mismatch in the client's perception of like perceived effort versus reward. So it's like, oh, I'm putting in all this effort. Um, maybe they've like cut out, for example, like arbitrary, like arbitrarily cut out some food. It's like, oh, I'm engaging in a lot of um, restraints right now but my calories aren't actually restricted and therefore I'm not losing weight, but it feels like I'm, I'm engaging in restraint, but maybe like the monitoring is off. So that's one area that again, a coach can help to promote consistent monitoring in a way that is suitable for a client because it, it was a huge burden. Again, that's going to be an area of risk that more at risk of failing in the self monitoring department. And um, then you've got self evaluation as well. So do they have unrealistic weight management goals that, is quite common actually for people because again if you're thinking about like diet culture and all these extreme results that are posted online a client may be coming to you with the expectation that they're going to lose a significant amount of weight in a short period of time but obviously nobody wants to we're not doing these extreme restrictive diets that would be you know necessary to achieve that level of result so it's about managing expectations as well um because if someone perceives that they failed they could actually be doing everything great like everything could be going to plan they're, achieving a, a um, reasonable rate of weight loss but they feel like they're failing because of they've got unrealistic expectations that aren't their, their own fault but just due to the environmental influences that they're under um, and then self-reinforcement is really important as well so when someone experiences like periods of ambivalence are you there to support them to help them weigh up them like the go through the decisional balance kind of process and understanding again what's a priority right now do we need to take a step off of the diet because you've got a lot going on in your life with work exams like whatever it is um so considering that kind of 
context of the diet itself and what's going on in the client's life. So if we can focus on those specific areas of risk, in theory, according to this theory, then we're reducing the risk of developing pathological eating behaviors. And that's one way that we can mitigate harm. So what you're talking about is uh, basically looking at a diet, not in the simple terms of just giving somebody a calorie deficit or a, a certain calorie limit to have a day or a macro limit to have in the day or even giving them a diet plan. It sounds like there's a lot involved. Uh, and, uh, and I'm saying that in a kind of sarcastic tone because I know that for the majority of people, they will have approached the diet in, in that manner, that it's, it's something super simple. So your uh, what you're proposing is uh, what yourself and Gabrielle Fundero have developed is this comprehensive coaching um, concept, which is you, you've already spoken about some of the things that you need to, to bring into 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 play here when you're dealing with human beings. And, and I'm, I'm saying human beings because every human being is different and every situation is going to be completely different. But if we talk about that comprehensive coaching, what are some of the the key components involved in actually let's talk about what are involved in its development and then in its implementation. Yeah. So comprehensive coaching was kind of born out of, we, we basically spotted a lot of gaps in the industry. So the way that I view it is, it's about putting the health back into health and fitness and bridging um, the divide between health and fitness, but also the divide between coach and clients. We touched on like the traditional model of coaching. So comprehensive coaching is kind of our answer to that. How can we actually help our clients to achieve change from the inside out? Um, and through the promotion of, or, with the goal of attaining um, flourishing health. So that's kind of where we're coming at. And we've drawn on uh, a lot of the research looking into different behavior change theories, um, like self-determination theory, uh, theories of motivation like that. And we've kind of tried to conceptualize the skill set that we think a coach should have and the factors that we need to consider. So knowing, again, that the client is coming to you with their own experiences and you've got the, the coach's expertise, but what skills do we need in order to understand the problem? So we've, um, we've actually updated the framework, but there'll be a, a future article about all of this. But it starts with um, case conceptualization. So actually understanding what, who am I working with for a start? What do they want? Why do they want it? Um, and, and what are their barriers and obstacles to change? And then the skill set, we rely heavily on motivational interviewing. This is about how we, it's a way of being with someone and helping them kind of to explore um, their possibilities, like whether or not they want to change, what changes they feel ready for, what they don't feel ready for, um, and why, and how we can create the types of environments that allow someone to explore their own motivations for changing. We also um, rely on cognitive behavioral coaching, acceptance and commitment therapy, and yeah, putting that all together into a kind of framework that also has the, the component of um, intentional eating. So knowing that we can help someone with their, their goals, whether they are weight gain, weight loss, weight neutral, as long as we're taking an intentional approach to our eating behaviors. So that could be mindful, it could be um, macros, like whatever it is, whatever's most appropriate. But I think that the main point or the, the kind of revolutionary part of it is that it's a collaboration between the coach and the client and recognizing that they have something to bring to the relationship. And it's not just, here's, let me brain dump on you and you go figure it out. It's about actually helping someone. And again, really figuring out what it is that they want and what they need. Do, do you think that that is potentially one of the main issues that uh, we have in coaching today? Is And I really liked what you said there is that it's it's a collaborative approach between two, let's say two equals who are just trying to, well, we're, we're working on helping somebody, but it's basically helping each other out to do this. Um, whereas in traditional coaching, it is just like you said, people brain dumping. Here's all of this information. Do with it what you want. If it doesn't work, it's your fault. Yeah. I think to be fair, like it, we're never taught about any of this stuff. 
you know, and I think when you get your nutrition qualification or your personal trainer qualification, like whatever it is, you're not really taught how to help someone. You're just taught what you need to know to get a result, not how to, to put the steps in place, not how to goal set, not how to understand motivation. Like there's no, there's not really any kind of guidance out there. It's a, we have to take it upon ourselves to actually figure this kind of stuff out, which I guess is part of our motivation for trying to put it together in a framework to kind of explain all of this. Um, so I think it it's kind of, it's not really surprising that that is the typical approach because it's like, oh, well, this is what I've been taught. So clearly this is what you need to know. I don't understand why this isn't working, you know? And so that's kind of where um, it begins. And I think really looking into the, it, it's such a shame that it's often overlooked because um, I think it can create a lot of problems that we've touched on. So I think, yeah, really understanding that um, what the role of a coach actually is. Because I think a lot of people do get confused. They view themselves as educators because a client may be coming to you for advice. You know, I don't know what to eat. Please tell me. People often do ask, please can I have a meal plan? And it's like, I, I know that that's not the solution. But how do we get around this problem? And I think that's something that also needs to be addressed is expectations. So expectations on behalf of the coach, but also on behalf of the client. What do they expect from you? Because, again, when we see, um, the, if you just scroll down your social media feed, probably not I of ask because of the types of people we follow, but most of our clients, if you scroll down their feeds, it would be like, here's my new six-week plan, buy this. So they expect a plan. They expect that that's the answer to their problems because that's what they've been sold in the past. So I think um, putting it out there, even just for the way that you promote yourself or whatever it is, just really um, addressing those expectations in the initial stages about here's actually the approach that, um, or a different approach to coaching in the sense that this is a collaborative partnership and this is kind of why it's more helpful for you. So I think that's something that's really important as well, understanding that they'll come with their own expectations. So addressing those in the initial stages can help with the, the whole process. Absolutely. With, with helping, let's say, new coaches or even experienced coaches to, to use a comprehensive coaching approach, what are some of, let's say, the, kind of the priorities that you, or, or the priority stages that need to be addressed to help get them um, to, to a, a more comprehensive um, approach to, to helping people? I would say that there are two major things. Um, first one being like the, the knowledge base of a coach, the way that we conceptualize the framework that we think that there are some important issues that are often overlooked in terms of body image, in terms of understanding weight stigma and the impacts of weight stigma, understanding diet culture and weight neutral approaches. I think that's something that, again, it's not covered in your nutrition course, but that's something that we need to understand for ourselves, especially body image, because body image and dietary restraint often go hand in hand. And most of your clients will be coming to you to improve, quote unquote, their body. So I think it's really important to understand the different factors um, that go into body image and how we can promote more adaptive changes so that would be one thing but then i think the next major step was actually understanding how to communicate which is where the motivational interviewing comes in i would also really recommend reading a book by carl rogers on becoming a person about creating the conditions for someone to change i think it we need to reimagine our approach to coaching but that starts with reconceptualizing the role of a coach again not a um a dictator but a facilitator so it's like how do I become a facilitator and that's where the motivational interviewing comes in because you're simply exploring something with a client but that's a skill set that's very difficult to it sounds simple in practice uh, in theory but it's difficult to put into practice so that would be something that I would prioritize we've drawn on um uh, acceptance and commitment therapy and cognitive behavioral coaching but really motivational interviewing is kind of like the the bread and butter of the whole coaching process and it's those skills but also the spirit that um is really important so 
you can start with the spirit and develop your skills over time because the skills are probably going to be something that you're going to get better and better at and you can always improve. But if you've got that spirit and the right kind of attitude towards coaching, I think that will get you a long way. So actually just stopping to consider what am I actually doing here? Like what is my role? Um, developing those areas of knowledge that may be lacking and then putting your attentions to how can I actually communicate with someone else? How can I listen effectively to what someone's trying to tell me? Um, so focusing on motivational interviewing would be huge. I, I do think that that is a, a major change that some people need to make because, and like even if I, I think about myself when I first started out with coaching, it is very, very easy to go in and think, I'm just going to tell, 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 tell give information i'm giving all of this wonderful information that is going to revolutionize this person's life um whereas the real magic happens when we actually listen to somebody and we ask the right questions to them about their lifestyle and uh, about everything that they that uh, about their goals um so yeah i i think that's absolutely essential and and i also really really like the fact that you said people need to be aware of uh these concepts like weight stigma issues with body image um the whole list of problems that exists with diet culture in general and also of other dietary approaches like the the anti-diet movement or the the, the haze approach uh to dieting as well um uh, i i i think that within the the community that we're within it's very very easy for some people to say oh i hate such and such approach like i think haze is ridiculous um i think the anti-diet culture people don't know what they're talking about and then i'm sure certain from their perspective as well it's easy to say oh those people in the diet culture they're absolutely horrible they're ruining people's lives um so i think get, getting a, an understanding is really really good but one thing i wanted to ask and i think it's something that's going to be quite relevant for a lot of coaches um who are not opposed to using intentional weight loss to, to help people but because there are a lot of people who promote healthy behaviors without promoting intentional weight loss or even those who do who would consider themselves to have a very very you know a fit or athletic physique and they they they're proud of their physique as well and i think that there are people within the diet movement or sorry the anti-diet movement that would look at people like that and see that would almost say that people having a physique like that would almost disqualify them from being able to 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 help people in um uh, let's say a, with a non-intentional weight loss approach or even with an intentional weight loss approach and then just automatically say this person they're of a certain physique they can't work with with Hayes methodology for example or they can't um do both of them at the same time and celebrate their physique and i just wanted to ask you your thoughts on that is it a either or scenario yeah i definitely don't think that um intentional weight loss is inherently bad or that it's an overall situation and that we need to choose between promoting adaptive behaviors or promoting weight loss like you could do both um and i also think it's very problematic to assume that someone who has a certain physique whatever that looks like can't be talking about anti-diet approaches because then that makes your physique a condition to qualify you to talk about these approaches which is kind of the total opposite of what the entire movement is about right health at every size or any size um and again speaking about health no matter what you look like should be able it because because your appearance does not determine your knowledge it does not determine your understanding so i think we just need to take a step back and listen to what we are promoting you know what what kind of approach is this person promoting is that in line with these um weight neutral approaches has nothing to do with what you look like so i think we can definitely talk about um these kinds of approaches think if someone is using your physique to discount your argument that has nothing to do with what you're saying so that wouldn't make a lot of sense um it, it might happen it probably could happen but again that's not really something that's it's almost not worth considering in a sense because i think anyone who was a true part of the movement wouldn't do that because again it doesn't 
it's not in line with the movement of health at um, every size. So I think we don't need to worry about, you know, what someone may say about your physique and just be careful about the message that you're promoting. If you're truly promoting what's in someone's best interest and you have an understanding of the different factors involved, then I don't think there's any risk of um, coming up against that sort of barrier, you know? Um, And when it comes to promoting positive changes and in at a body that's enjoyable or someone is proud of you can do that in a way that's not um derogative to anyone else because we're not saying that your physique is really indicative of like, it doesn't really indicate anything right it doesn't indicate someone's self-worth but it's the way that i like to view it is that you can totally work on your physique goals um and there are a bunch of benefits, like you might feel very rewarded by seeing, you know, I'm going to dedicate myself to this challenge and I've seen that pay off. That gives me a bit of confidence that now translates to other areas of my life. Like I think there are some benefits to be gained from, it doesn't have to be weight loss, but just from setting yourself a challenge and um, building your capacity to do different things and how that could feed into, as I say, like, other areas of your life um so we can keep the upside of the increased confidence like whatever comes with weight loss because we must understand as well that we've got to meet someone where they're at and it's all one and good to say to someone oh your body doesn't determine your self-worth which whilst that's something i wholeheartedly agree with doesn't really help someone who believes it does you know so simply saying to someone well you shouldn't care about how you look doesn't help them to change their mind. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that this is a common motivator for many people and we can totally meet them where they're at, help them with this goal, but promote adaptive behaviors with that and also help to broaden their motivations to change. So they're probably going to come with you for, I would like to lose weight to increase my confidence. That's just something that a lot of people feel, which isn't really surprising, again, touching on things like diet culture. So understanding that and helping them to shift to more intrinsic motivation, like reasons for change. Oh, actually, how can we you know, relate this to your health as well? Like promoting health doesn't have to be health or aesthetics, but health in addition to the aesthetic goals your clients are likely to have, I think is really important. And that's going to help increase the the likelihood of uh, sustainable change as well. If a client comes to you with, okay, I want to lose weight to feel more confident, cool, how else do you think your life may improve, be improved by making this change? Actually, I think that if I uh, ate a little bit better, then I might have more energy day to day. Okay, what would you do if you have more energy? Well, you know, I could put that into my work, my career, because sometimes I feel quite tired during the day and I find it difficult to concentrate. Or maybe I'm a little bit snappy with the people that I care about. So I think I might actually be a nicer person if I had my like health in check. You know, so there's you can um kind of foster a number of reasons to change. We don't have to get rid of the aesthetic goal, but how about having some more health oriented goals that are gonna improve your life in the long run? Um, So I think that would be a far more sustainable approach because otherwise, again, you're risking not helping the people that probably need your approach the most. We're gonna shut everyone down for wanting to change their physique. I don't think that's helpful either. It's it's almost like you're saying that uh, you shouldn't judge somebody by their physique alone. Um, crazy concepts, Shannon. I don't know where you get these things from. Um, I, the, I, like, Shannon, there's so much that we could talk about on this specifically, and it, it's not something that we can do in a single podcast. But one thing I would like to ask you is, in the next, and I'm not even within the next few years, what direction would you like to see nutrition coaching going um now where would you like to see a lot more of the focus going with nutrition coaching i think i would like to see a lot more emphasis being placed on health for the reasons that we've discussed and the focus to go on the clients because those are the people that we're trying to help and i think it's very natural for a coach to want to improve their services And they're often not clear on how. It's like, how can I 
you know, get better results with my clients. Maybe I need to learn more about this topic. And we go down all these like little rabbit holes of nutrition that don't necessarily have any impact on the people that we're working with. So rather than looking for answers to your questions and the difficulties that you come up against with clients, ask them because they have all the answers. They know what they struggle with. I think it's just we need to focus on the clients and focus on health. Those are two big areas that we've kind of neglected um, so far. And by doing so, we can understand what it is that the problems that people face. Um, and then that will help you to find solutions once we know what someone's actually struggling with. Um, so I think that would be my major kind of hope for the industry to put more emphasis on the clients that you're trying to help and also promoting health and everything that health encompasses. Fantastic. So to, to help coaches with that and to help get them started in the right direction, how can they learn more about your the, the comprehensive coaching approach? Yeah, so we have the article series that we've touched on. So that's the, the Bridging the Gap series, which could be found on uh, my website, Gabrielle's website. I think it's on the Renaissance. There's a, a few kind of different areas that you may be able to find that. Um, and we're also doing some um, webinars on the comprehensive coaching approach. So pretty much discussing the origins, the foundations, the applications of the approach, um, which will likely be running. I'm not sure when the next time we'll do that, but if you check out just the Bridging the Gap um, website, you'll find all the details for those there. Um, and also keeping up to date, I guess, with my Instagram and Gabrielle's Instagram account. Um, well, these are a lot of issues that we kind of, we've got so many ideas for things that we'd like to touch on um, just from the feedback that we've had from clients, um, from the coaches who've gone through the first webinar series. So there's a lot of scope for a lot of things to be addressed. Like you say, you know, so much to kind of touch on with this. So yeah, keeping up to date with all that kind of stuff. I think um, we're hoping to, to really, yeah, see some changes in the industry. Like you say, we've had discussions with behavioral change experts and sports psychologists. So we're kind of like just kind of merging it together I guess another gap that we're trying to bridge is the gap between all these other professionals who also have expertise in these certain areas that may apply to our clients and us. Because it's like, where do the boundaries lie? What can we help with? What can't we help with? What do we need to know? <laughs> and how can we get that information out there? Um, so that's pretty much everything that, that we've been focusing on and the uh, yeah, where you can find us. The huge amount of relevant information there. And um, I'm going to link to as many of those as I can and to your own um, Instagram account so people can get in touch with you. And I just want to say that, you know, the content that yourself and, and Gabrielle put out is a breath of fresh air um, in an industry that is, is wrought with people saying things like, you just need a calorie deficit, mate. Um, so it, it, it's, I'm delighted to see what you're doing and what you're achieving and I hope it's kind of signs of a wave of change that's going to happen within the, the nutrition industry. And uh, hopefully it will improve or move us away from that, the cesspit that uh, it, it previously has become to be known as. Um, so, Shan, I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining me tonight and telling me so much about this. Um, and um, I just want to wish you the absolute best of success with comprehensive coaching in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. And I hope so too, <laughs> with the, the changes that we're hoping to see. And yeah, thank you for having me on. Fantastic. Take care. Talk to you soon, okay? Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Health Scientist Podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed and maybe even learned something from what we've spoken about today. And if you did, I'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, or maybe even share a link on social media, in your Instagram stories, Facebook, Twitter, even LinkedIn really helps spread word of the podcast which means i can continue to get great guests to speak about different topics in health which means more content for you it really means a huge amount to me personally too if you ever want to watch one of the podcasts live or ask questions to any of the guests you can do so by following me on instagram at be more nutrition that's at b underscore more underscore nutrition and i'd love to hear your comments and feedback about the podcast so please comment on the podcast post or feel free to drop me a message directly and if you ever have a suggestion for a guest that you'd like to hear, please do let me know. I'll be back soon with another podcast. See you then.